Welcome to season two of the Love Good Podcast, where you learn how to love what is good so you can become what you love and change the world. This podcast is brought to you by our patrons, a community of intentional consumers who curate music and books based on the transcendentals of beauty, truth, and goodness. Join us each week as we sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about media, culture, and what it means to be human. We're so happy you're here. Welcome to the Love Good Podcast, everybody. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is episode 14, season one. Just behind us was Dr. Ryan Hanning last week coming in with just a beautiful conversation about the innate desire that we all have for beauty and how we have to also kind of build our capacity for it over time. Really, really cool conversation. And as always, today, every other week, um, as I do, I'm sitting down with Alana Boudreau, my trusted co-host, all the way from, well, currently living in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. She's amazing. She's our content director. She's the one who's out there constantly curating the music and the books and the artwork that we put out to our patrons in our exclusive seasonal packages. But she's also a brilliant mind, as you have come to realize. And today we talk about the religious sense, right? This impulse in each of us uh, to point beyond ourselves, ultimately to transcend ourselves. And given that we are one week away from Christmas, this is a really timely conversation because whether we really understand what this season is all about or not, we can recognize the wonder and the awe that is cultivated this time of the year and the need that all of us have, again, for that beauty that points beyond, a beauty that ultimately points to the infinite. By the way, we will not have an episode next week in the spirit of family and Christmas and just hoping that all of you do not hop on your, you know, iPhones and technology while you're home with family. We're just going to go ahead and take the week off as a podcast and um, we'll be back on January 1st. You guys are amazing. I'll be back in just a few moments with Alana Boudreaux. We are back with the Love Good Podcast. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell, sitting down with an old friend, one of my favorite singer-songwriters, currently with us in Nashville, Tennessee today, Alana Boudreaux. Hi, Jimmy. Alana, this is so fun. Every couple of weeks, we sit down, we talk about some crazy, awesome aspect of the human experience, right? Yep. I think I need to be reminded why we do this. Like, it, it fits in so beautifully to what we hope our music, our books, our art inspires. Like we, we want people to ask these kind of questions, to have these kind of conversations. We're convinced that media, creative media specifically, can help spur those kind of conversations and thought processes. But let's be real at the same time, like you're keeping me grounded over here. Like I'm always like <laughs> connecting dots up in the clouds, thinking strategically, how do we change the world? Yeah. And I'm here just talking about Little otters at SeaWorld dressed in sailors' outfits and bananas being chewed. and That's it. You know, and the interstices of life. That's yes. what where the rubber hits the road. Interstices. Yeah. Does that sound right? You said it. You there it, it is. Yep, yep. That's your word for the, uh, well, I don't even call it the week. I think it's the word of the season. 
Interstices. Do you have a favorite word or some favorite mm, words? Yeah, there's a few I use a lot. I like I like more like word pairings. So like I yeah. love saying profound joy. I like that. I like that. I like the idea of a warrior poet. Warrior poet. Exactly. Someone what does that who mean? fights with their words. Oh, yeah. With the beauty of their words. You know, that's kind of, yeah. we, you and I today, every day that we're on this podcast, we are warrior poets, right? <laughs> we are fighting with the beauty of our words. I wouldn't wear it on a shirt, <laughs> but I like the thought. You know, one, one uh, phrase that I heard, I forget who said it, but for some reason I liked the way it sounded. He said, we are a maddeningly social species. What does that first one mean? Maddeningly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, maddening, maddeningly. That's a tricky one to say, especially when you're a little drowsy in the mid-afternoon. Yeah. Maddeningly sociable, social. It's kind of like, Yeah. was it, I know someone out there listening is going to know which philosopher said, hell is other people. <laughs> That's like a really troubling statement if you think of it. It sounds like a very solipsistic, like sort of self-absorbed way of looking at things. Just like, I want to be alone with my misery yeah. and everything. But it's true. That some, it's like the greatest breakthroughs and the greatest heartaches and the greatest joys, they all come from otherness and interacting. Yeah. And I, I would rather that than isolation. But there are times where you just need to be alone. <laughs> it's true. Well, you did just remind me of my favorite, my favorite musical of all time, Les Mis. Oh, to, have to you read love that book? another person. Mm-hmm. Right, is to see, see the, the face, face of God. God. Yeah. No, I've I've never read the book. I've seen the musical probably seven times in London. It's literally been selling out every single day, sometimes twice a day for like thirty years in London, oh, the Queen's man. Theater. It's really really special. That'd be incredible to see. Yeah, I've yeah. never even seen anything like on Broadway. That's really? I mean, I live near New York City now, so my mm. my hope is to do that. Actually, maybe this winter, I'd love to see Broadway and then go skating at Rockefeller. There's still this undying old fashioned romantic inside of me that loves that kind of idea of something like that. But it's true. When you take in live art like that, hmm. I think I'm, I'm just always so stirred by the stories that are told, but then also by the brilliance of the human person actually creating something like that. Like I remember as a kid going to the symphony and, and weeping because of the beauty of the music, but then also just because of humanity, mm. what humanity can do. Like we make music. That's it's crazy. Profound. Yep. No other species does that. Like yep. we make music. Why? You know, it's like it's just I mean, obviously we have a good understanding and idea of why. Like, but it's just I don't know. That cool. sets us apart. Art and beauty and, and wondering at these things, you know. Mm. And I feel like that kind of taps into what I was interested in talking about today, which is the religious impulse of mankind, man and womankind whatever politically correct way you want to say that, you know, that need to worship, the need to belong, the need to ritualize. Mm. Do you think that's a thing? Like, do you think there's, do you see that? I mean, is that, like, I feel like maybe some people are trying to discredit that. But if you look back at the literature and just like Mm. scientifically, anthropologically, it's just been a very deeply entrenched part of Yeah human nature you know when what do you what do you make of that when you sit, sit back and look at it yeah yeah i'm definitely not a philosopher or a historian you know but I, I can like personalize almost anything and what i mean by that is the question you just asked like immediately takes me to the top of a volcano in antigua guatemala it immediately takes me i mentioned a few weeks ago the the mountains of zermatt switzerland mm-hmm. you know it takes mm-hmm. me to these moments where actually like everything around me was making me feel 
small and making me want to bow down, Mm -hmm. you know, like the religious impulse, as you put it, I I would imagine, you know, is, is those moments where in a, in a really like epic and beautiful and humbling way, you just feel your littleness Mm -hmm. before the grandeur, before the glory, before the majesty in front of you. And again, those are like, those are moments I, I'm kind of like constantly fighting for the next moment like that. Right. You know, I love it. Because it's interesting. Those moments are, they're strangely humanizing. Yeah. Even though they feel mystical, kind of. Almost because they are. Yes. Out of the ordinary. That's right. They make you feel more, I guess, realized as a person (laughs) somehow, you know. And I also don't know if it's, if it seems to be the immovability of certain natural phenomenon that speaks to that religious impulse, like that need to worship whoever created it, or if it's mm. or if it's the ephemerality or, mm. or sensing my own ephemerality in mm. contrast to hmm. what seems to be an immovable mountain. I love that. I Do mean, you know the, what I mean? Like yeah. like because that's another part of this is the reality of of death. Like mm-hmm. which is that's something we've all grappled with from the dawn of time. Like you you feel it. You can sense it. I mean as you, especially as I get older, I feel like the days go by faster. Like it's just like, it, I I don't know. And I, this isn't like, I'm not saying it in a depressing way. I'm just saying it's like a very curious mm. bind that we find ourselves in to crave life so much. And even when you look at beauty, beauty is in, in many ways, it's a, a means to cre- continue life. Yep. Like if you look at beautiful like plumage on a bird, it's like, it's beautiful and at the end, it brings new life. Like mm. that's what it's standing for. Mm. But we also have this sense of death too. And so beauty and death and nature, these things are all, they've all convicted us of something. Mm. Uh, like from the beginning yeah. and a need to know who's behind it mm. and and why. Like why why should I be able to appreciate these things? Yeah, I do though. Animals don't, but I do. Like I see them and I appreciate them and I wonder at who designed it. And then there are some people, atheists, who who see them and wonder at them, but they don't think of a who. And that's also fascinating for me to ponder, just like it's such a different approach. And I think many of us kind of ebb and flow in different areas of faith and, and belief, belief and non-belief. And you have to kind of just like acknowledge that everyone, I don't know, it's a continual unfolding and hopefully a deepening into honesty and a deepening into humility that there's something bigger. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just fascinating stuff to ponder on. What's what? What, what do you see as a day-to-day example of religiosity that maybe our culture wouldn't call? Yeah. You know what I mean? Where do you see that impulse playing out just in people today? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just a few weeks ago, I was at a hospital. I had been texting a friend, uh, kind of hoping that she'd let me come visit her and her newborn. Mm-hmm. And this friend's like family. So to my like natural request, but I also like didn't want to push it. Yeah. I just wanted to kind of have this awestruck moment with an 11 hour old baby, you know? Yeah. And sure enough, like some things needed to happen first, such as, you know, her mom and her sister and, you know, some others kind of visiting the baby. And then eventually it was kind of like time. It was okay for somebody, not family to come in and hold this little baby, you know, and like a, that's a moment for me where the the religious, uh, what are we calling it again? Impulse, you mm-hmm. know, it really was alive in me because I think like I, I can't actually make sense of this. This baby was just in the womb of his mother mm-hmm. a f- 
less than a day ago. You mm-hmm. know, I, I had dinner yeah. with her and her husband and her extended family only two days ago. You know, like yeah. that's that's a lot to take in. And I think for me, it leaves me in a state of wonder, as you put it. Right. And I do connect that with a person. I do connect that with an infinite reality mm-hmm. that I, I believe I'm in relationship with. I do like kind of wonder how others can have that moment become a source of joy without connecting it to the source. You know, like Chesterton, he once said mm-hmm. that the the saddest moment in the life of someone who doesn't believe in God would actually be to, to feel profound gratitude and have no one to thank. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gratitude and joy, they really go hand in hand for me. I don't, I don't know who to thank, though, in those moments of religious impulse. Yeah. Because it's not like I'm thanking the bride, the uh, the bride, the mom. Right. You right. know, like, yeah. that would be weird. I mean, it, <laughs> it kind of makes sense. Like, thank you for letting me be here and thank you for letting me. But I can't thank her for this little miracle in my right. hands in the same way that I can thank God for that little miracle in my hands. Right. No, that's so true. I mean, I think – and one one important distinction I wanted to make too is just like as we talk about the religious impulse, I think maybe maybe some folks listening would think – when they hear the word religious impulse, they think of a religious institution. Right. And obviously, like we've discussed earlier, institutions can become very muddy and messy and they can, I think, really twist and distort the natural impulse there. And I think really the the better way to put it would be the impulse to appreciate and seek the sacred. Yeah. You know, because that's what religion is at the service of. Mm. I think it's a real problem when you when you put your religion over a sense of reverence. Yeah. Reverence for creation, reverence for the person. I love that. That's yeah. when actually like I I I read something recently that I'd love to share here that kind of kind of taps into this, if you don't mind if I I share it here. It's by it's from this guy named Richard Kearney. And he said, if we do not observe a special vigilance, if we do not maintain a basic mix of passion and patience, which defines genuine faith, we end up with a pathology of religion, which is a refusal of the stranger in the name of some exclusivist, triumphal deity. This pathology replaces a genuine religion of the sacred, which disposes and invites us to renew trust in what is to come with a false religion that arrogates and imposes that says the job is done. Hmm. Genuine faith is never a once and for all. It's something that comes and goes and comes back again. Maybe, but not necessarily, and never certainly. Otherwise, it wouldn't be faith, but knowledge. I really, I love that. Hmm. Like, because it's like that ascent of faith to the sacred when you're holding a baby, like a faith of what is to come in this human being Hmm. who's been born into a really troubled world. Hmm. But to have the faith to say this is good, and something good is going to come. Like yeah. you don't know that for sure. It's almost like when people get married, they don't know for sure that that person will be faithful to them. <laughs> like because if they did, it would be a contract and it wouldn't be another human being. It would be like mm. a robot. Like it's never completely for sure. But that's what makes it meaningful, I think, is the risk to open yourself to the sacred there, like yeah. the potential for the sacred in another person or in music that you're listening to. Like to be open to the sacred, I mm. think is is at the heart of genuine religious faith. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like a, a faith that is healthy and that is open to being surprised by the divine that's right. and by the incarnation because that's a very profound thing. Like the way it shows up and shakes your world up, you know, in a given day. Yeah. So hopefully that made sense to some degree. Like just yeah. 
Yeah, but it's hard to reclaim that sense of the sacred today in our culture when it's kind of numbed out by so many different things. Um, and I think this is where I, I sometimes struggle in processing this because, I mean, we had an incredible interview with Audrey Assad, man, I'm a, like a year ago. It was mm-hmm. last spring, spring of 2018. Yeah. And we started talking about faith and hope and the difference between that and, you know, knowledge versus yeah. assurance. And right. I guess there's this part of me that like, you know, maybe it's like living in the South, like the American South, which is very Baptist, which mm-hmm. is very evangelical, which is very Christian, frankly, you know, mm-hmm. where like it's sort of common to just talk colloquially about the faith and casually about the faith, even if it's just like the cashier at Kroger, you know. Right, right. And there's a part of me that like I love that confidence and I love mm-hmm. that sense of like, yeah, this is who we are and this is what we believe, you know. That really does a lot for me. Yeah. Convicts me. And yet at the same time, like I, I have to like honor and kind of respect the not the delicacy, you know, but maybe the 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 what is it? You know, what, what is it that makes it hope and not assurance, mm. faith and not knowledge? Because it feels a heck of a lot like knowledge and assurance to me some days, most days actually. Right. And I don't know if that's just because of the way I was raised, right. if that's like real deep religious conviction in me, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or, or is that foolish? I don't, you know, that's a really good question. I think it's because I have in my immediate family, there are varying degrees of atheism and agnosticism and some of my friendships too, you know, mm. so I think I come, I come from a, a background where it's like, there's just a different palette, you know right. what I mean? And that's, I think that's, there's, it's not like it's better or worse. It's just kind of what I have been given to reference the world by. And I think the thing I have found across the board with people, no matter where they fall in the gamut of faith, there is an impulse to sacramentalize, to find meaning, yeah. to ritualize, to yeah. get together with other people under the auspices of some bigger thing. Yeah. And I think in everyday just interactions with people, it comes down to just reverence. And and I've met some atheists who are incredibly reverential toward the human person. So mm-hmm. they're, you know what I mean? So it's, it's just very mysterious because that impulse is still there. And David Foster Wallace I'm I'm very fond of his his work and his writing and his interviews that he did with Terry Gross on Fresh Air. He just feels like a kindred spirit in some ways. He grappled a lot with questions of faith. He actually thought about being Catholic numerous times. Mm. But he, can I share something that he said that awesome. I think really pertains to this question yeah. of like faith, atheism, having a sense of the sacred regardless of where you fall. He said this, here's something that's true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God is pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. Mm. If you worship money and things, if they are what you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel that you have enough. If you worship your own body and beauty and allure, you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. The trick is keeping this truth up front, though, in daily consciousness. Worship power, you will always feel weak and afraid. And you will never, ever have more power over others. And you'll have to keep that fear constantly at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud always on the verge of being found out, and so on. 
Look, the insidious thing about these kinds of worship is not that they're evil or sinful. It's that they're unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. And the world will not discourage you from operating on your default settings because the world of men and money and power hums along quite nicely on the fuel of fear and contempt and frustration and craving and the worship of self. Our own present culture has harnessed these forces in ways that have yielded extraordinary wealth and comfort and personal freedom. The freedom to be lords of our own tiny, skull-sized kingdoms alone at the center of creation. This kind of freedom has much to recommend it. But of course, there are all different kinds of freedom and the kind that is most precious you will not hear talked about in the great outside world of winning and achieving and displaying. The really important kind of freedom involves attention and awareness and discipline and effort and being able to truly care about other people and to sacrifice for them over and over in myriad petty little unsexy ways every day. That is real freedom. The alternative is unconsciousness, the default setting, the rat race, the constant gnawing sense of having had and lost some infinite thing. Hmm. I just got chills reading that again. And I feel like that's that's like right at the heart of what we're talking about right here. It's mm. like we all worship something, whether we say that we are completely freed from whatever kind of creed or doctrine or just like the liberated man who doesn't need God or religion anymore. The fact is, no, like we need the great higher love the good, like we do. And we try to pin our hearts on something because, mm. I don't know, left to our own devices, we just feel completely unmoored. Like, so it's it's just, mm. that's an interesting idea, right, though? Mm. Just the idea that everybody worships something and it's it's just a matter of, you you have to make the choice of mm. what it is that you're going to worship because it's it's just in you to yeah. worship. Like, it's yeah. kind of like in your DNA. It's funny. Um, and I think so much of how we live and the rituals that we choose do have a way of training our hearts in one direction or the other. Like I always use this analogy. I love my dad. He loves tailgating before <laughs> football games. Like this is a big part of his Saturday ritual every fall for probably the last three decades. You know, like there is a ritual, a routine, you could even call it a liturgy to how he goes about setting up a tailgate, tailgating, going into a game, tailgating after the fact. Like it's a 12-hour right. affair. Yeah. And what does it do? It, it trains his heart to love football. And he loves football and he builds his life around football in the fall. So the parallel is obvious, you know, that actually what we want to do constantly is is train our hearts, again, to bring it back to the point of the show, is is to train our hearts to love what is good. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're all acknowledging here is that there's a highest good. There's a highest good worth pursuing, worth coming to know and love so that we can actually become – the very, as you put it, maybe even incarnation of that good or, 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 or expression of that good or, or lived reality, mm-hmm. you know. And I know what that means for me as a, as a Christian and as a Catholic, but I, I'm really so eager to have this kind of conversation with right. everybody across right. the board. That What does it really mean for you to become, to even chase after that highest good and then to, to become it in, in such a way that's not like, we're talking about what I would call like deification, you know, but we're not talking about like this kind of weird, we become God, right, right, you know? Right. Yep. Yeah. Right. That's a, that's a whole nother conversation for theology, but I just love, I love the idea that actually what we do every day is, is, is going to move our hearts yeah. in worship towards something. Right. And it, it's a marriage of the sacred and the profane. Mm. Cause like you're saying, you do, you have to train yourself 
toward worship in a way that actually leads to flourishing. Because yeah, like like Wallace right. is saying here, like the default setting is the rat race. Yep. It's just kind of self-indulgence and obsession and inwardness. So you have to fight against that. Like you have to fight against the tendency to numb yourself and cocoon yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that takes place in the nitty-gritty, talking to someone, looking at them, and not looking at your phone. Like, that's yeah. just like a very basic example of like something that happens outside of church. Like, so <laughs> that's why I'm saying like profane, meaning like yeah, right. not not within the sacred setting of like incense and bells. But I'm saying like a baby being born, mm-hmm. you know, and, and having people there to welcome the baby. That's that's sacred. But it's in the most regular everyday mm. context. I love, love I love that. Me so. too. Me too. And mm. I find that so much of the joy of of this life, and really the joy of what we hope people are inspired to do through our efforts. You know, like what we're yeah. constantly sending to our patrons is just an occasion for that sort of pulling back the veil. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and and seeing this whole another beautiful thing called glory, you know? Yeah. Well, one one yeah. question for you real quick before we wrap up totally. here is what's something, what's something that you think you give too much attention to and something that you wish you gave more attention to? Too much attention would be number of people liking my latest Instagram post. Oh, me too. More attention <laughs> would be bum, ba, dum, ba, da, 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 da. yeah probably like my closest friends and specifically right yes. now my housemates yeah being more attentive to them yeah how about you because i know you like it when i mirror questions <laughs> yes but my answer is actually very similar to yours mm. yeah i i put way too much stock and attention on things that have no substance mm. you know like instagram <laughs> it feels like a connection and it's not a connection. And so, yeah, I wish I put more more focus on picking up the phone to just call. Because mm. that's the default setting there when I do have a free moment is to just do something that is just kind of lazy. And like sometimes, yeah, you need brain space to think and just relax and that's good. But I know there's a lot of times where I could have connected. And I never, I never yourself, regret yeah connecting like it's always an awesome thing you ever find that where you feel exhausted and like oh someone's coming over and it ends up being the best thing ever like almost like a pivot conversation or something happens so yeah i want to be more attentive to those opportunities to like connect i guess you know well lana as always what a joy and so much more to come so have an incredible couple of weeks and we'll see you soon cool beans bye jimmy black hole in my heart Black hole in my favorite sweaters to cheat Though I'll try, I'm just stitching a scarlet letter. Someone call, someone call, someone call. I don't know who I am at all. Someone call, someone call, someone call. A little hard for me to believe, but this is in fact our last episode of 2018. Hope you guys have an amazing Christmas. By the way, all of our team, that is Jessman, Marisol and I, and the entire apprenticeship program is going to be represented at SEEK, which is a massive conference happening in Indianapolis, January 3rd through 7th. All right. There's going to be 18,000 college students from all over the world. I literally have friends coming in from Austria for this conference. So if you're going to be there, find us. We have some amazing events happening in partnership with the Beauty Initiative. 
Initiative. We love you guys. We hope you have an amazing holiday season here for these next couple of weeks, and we will see you in 2019. God bless. Thanks for tuning in to season two of the Love Good Podcast. Tell your friends all about us. Stay in touch on social media and be sure to stop by iTunes or Stitcher to give us a review. You can join our movement today by subscribing as a patron at lovegoodculture.com. Start enjoying our seasonal packages that will raise your standard for media and inspire you to build a better culture. We can't wait to accompany you as you change the world.